0: Hi, I'm Andrea Blythe, co host of New Books and Poetry, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today we're speaking with Jason Bayani about his new book, Locus. Jason is the author of both Locus from Omnidom Publishing in 2019 and Amulet from Right Bloody Publishing in 2013. He is an MFA graduate from St. Mary's College, a Kundiman Fellow. And works as the Artistic Director for the Kearney Street Workshop, the oldest multidisciplinary Asian Pacific American arts organization in the country. His publishing credits include World Literature Today, Muzzle Magazine, and Lantern Review, among others. Jason regularly performs around the country and debuted his sole theater show, Locus of Control, in 2016 with theatrical runs in San Francisco, New York, and Austin. Hi Jason, thank you for being on the show.
1: Hi, how you doing?
0: I'm doing good, thank you. Doing so good. uh generally I like to kind of start at the beginning and I would like to know a bit about how you started to connect with poetry.
1: You know, I uh when growing up I was, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of encouragement around writing. Um it was something early on, I think, that um I was doing, but um there was never any follow through. Uh you know, I was writing Participating in, you know, young author uh, programs and I even got an award like in fifth grade. But, you know, after that, you know, going to junior high, going to high school, I just was never, you know, found any further encouragement around it. And, you know, it just became something I never really thought of um, after that time until uh, I went to college and um, <clears throat> at San Francisco State. And I, one well, of my English teachers, she just, Kind of pulled me aside one day, and she asked me after you know she had read one of my assignments, and she she said, "What's your major?" And uh, I was like, "I didn't have a major at the time because I went to SF State to run track," and um, so I told her I, I don't have one. And she just took me. Uh, she said, "Well, come with me," and then she took me to the creative writing office. And she said, well, here's your new major. And I was like, okay. <laughs> 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 and, um, you know, I was like 18 at the time. I didn't really know what was up. And I was just kind of like, that's fine. I, mean, I That sounds like fun. And um, I was like writing. And next thing you know, you know, I just kind of, I started off doing fiction. And, you know, then I got interested in theater. And like poetry was all this thing I was doing on the side. And, you know, I was just kind of experimenting with, I liked it, I liked you know, reading poetry, but I was more focused on on fiction and theater. But, um, you know, I was still writing poems and I got involved with like a lot of uh, local, you know, kind of Filipino activist groups at the time. And, you know, like spoken word was really kind of big in that scene. And I, I started doing that, like, you know, at events that that um, I get invited to. And I started doing more and more. And then, yeah, I, I, did, I decided to go to my first poetry slam and uh around like after i graduated college and you know i was i i liked it um i didn't really want to keep doing theater anymore um but this kind of satisfied that part you know being able to perform and um you know it was it was the, after my first one um in san francisco it was like this huge show they used to do at the justice league it was called the justice league it's now called the independent um and there was like 200 people there. And, you know, I just got hooked and, you know, I ended up finding out about the Berkeley Poetry Sam. So I went to the Berkeley Poetry Slam And then once I had the Berkeley Poetry Sam, this other person taught me, told me about their Poetry Sam. And there's one in Oakland, one in Vallejo, one in San Jose. And I just started going to all of them. Um, cause I just, I, I loved it. And I wanted to keep doing it, and, and next thing you know, you know, I so I started off like mostly like kind of doing spoken word and poetry. And um, the more I did it, the more like I, I kind of wanted to keep developing the craft.
0: Yeah, poetry slam is a very kind of it's its own unique form of performance when it comes to reading poetry. Um, uh, can you talk a little bit about the act of performance and um, what is it that you find valuable in the process of performance?
1: I think yeah, like. Poetry slam, I, I think, gives you a form to work within, you know? and then you know, it gives you like these three minutes that you're supposed to kind of create something. And then the more that you explore, more poetry, you find other forms that you can fit within those three minutes. And I, you know, I I think even though it's free verse, we all adhere to some type of form when we write poetry, and um, you know being able to understand that even when I think I'm working without form, I'm creating a form um, at all times, that that, that form always exists. Um, and that really kind of like, you know, helped me to kind of understand my own poetry better because I started to understand like when I started looking at that, when I started seeing poetry as form, then you kind of start seeing what are the forms that you create and and I think that that kind of furthered, um, you know, my exploration of form kind of further when I got my MFA and, and, and uh, you know, working with uh, Brenda Hillman, you know, just kind of got me seeing a lot more about like the different forms poetry takes. And, and um, you know, because I got to work, you know, within and explore many different types uh you know whether it's like sonnets or s- sistinas or um, what poetry sam gave me early on was was you know the the, the understanding of poetry's form and, and um that uh, how to work within one and as far as the relevance of performance to me in my own poetry is the is that, you know, when I when I started um in theater, one of my earliest professors there, this this amazing teacher, uh, her name was um Camille Howard. And she was the first professor I worked with in theater that really kind of showed me how to view language and oration and and, and speaking and how to connect that to the body and how that, you know, what the thing, you know, what we write, what we, how we embody it, I mean, that connection. I never had considered that before. And so these are things that, you know, I learned early on that I continue to take with me throughout my development as a writer. That, um, you know, it all didn't like happen exactly at the times that I received you know this information. But learning this early on, I believe, is what kind of helped me, you know, really develop who I was as both a poet and a performer.
0: You got your MFA. What drew you towards going for an MFA program and what value did you get out of the program?
1: You know, when I, when I got my MFA as an undergrad, I kind of, I didn't really, I didn't really take school seriously during my undergrad. I mean, I was doing like my, like I was concentrating my MFA in my uh, creative writing classes and, you know, the theater classes and stuff. But I mean, I was just kind of screwing around a lot and I just, um, undergrad I think I was just having more fun than I was focusing on, you know, really working on on my craft, you know, which is why I think a lot of what I learned then I didn't really receive till later on. And also I didn't really feel like, you know, at my, you know during my undergrad I was uh, in my creative writing program, I felt kind of ignored. And, you know, that's why I had to find support in other places. But when I got to my MFA program, you know, I didn't take my MFA until I think I was 31. At the time. And I think having that distance between when I graduated undergrad to when I got um, my MFA really helped me personally because I felt I was more in the space, you know, and I got to live a bit more of my life as a poet, um, as a writer. And, you know, to be able to come into you know an MFA program at this point in my life, I think I would I think I got a lot more out of it than I would have um, if I tried to go after I had graduated uh, college. I think there was a lot more uh, maturity I needed to go through. Um, I needed to, uh, I think, come more into my own as as a writer and a poet before I could ever have an experience like that.
0: Yeah, I can totally understand that, that um, evolution as... Yeah. Is- as a person and a poet, um, did the MFA program help you to get to your first book or did that come separately?
1: Oh, no, it definitely helped me get to my first book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't even have I didn't even have anything together for manuscripts. I You know, I put out. During my twenties, like everyone in Pajastan put out their own little chat books every so often. You know, cause you do, you know, if you ever get featured sets, you need to have some type of product so you can make some money. So we always made these like little chat books at Kinkos and you we know, <laughs> or if we have friends that worked at a copy place, we go over there and just like try to try to get it hooked up. Um, but I didn't really have an idea of like how to put a a real manuscript together and I didn't have the poems yet. And I think that going through the MFA program, I was able to not only like, I was able to like figure out what is my co what is my voice and what is it that I'm working towards. And um, to be able to look at the book is not just like this collection of like poetry you put together, but to be able to look at it as a book, you know, um, I'm not just not throwing in years of work, like nothing that exists in my first manuscript in my first book, emulate, um, everything that's in there is written. Um, there's maybe only one poem I wrote in my twenties. Everything is from my MFA program to like maybe a year or two after my MFA program. ended. so it's like a four year stretch of work. That's, that's in that book. And, um, a lot of that was just really kind of doing the work in in the program uh, of finding out who am I as a writer and and um, what direction do I want my poetry to to you know head towards and and I um, I, I I these are things I didn't really consider I think in my twenties you know that I was a lot of times you're just kind of producing you know you 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 producing work and and a lot of it for me was like i i have a feeling i have things inside of me and i just need to get it out and i just need to express it and i i think what i got out of my affair was the ability to be able to now okay look at everything that came before and 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 try to understand um who i want to be um, as a poet
0: it sounds like um an an interesting uh, journey and in process the self exploration yeah. through the act of writing. Um, so how how did you come to *Locus*? What was your process for writing that book?
1: Mm, I think after the first book came out, um, I was in a very similar position as I'm in right now, where like I was I was like I don't want to write anything, you know. <laughs> um, You know, the book came, you know, I I maybe wrote one or two poems here and there. And um, I was living in Austin, Texas at the time when the book came out. And I had decided to move back home to the Bay Area. And, um, you know, I was going through a lot at the time. And it was just kind of, I spent maybe when I came back the first two years just trying to put a book together but I didn't know what that book was. And every time I kept putting poems together, you know, I was, uh, um, I had met another amazing poet, Prince Saito, and we had kind of started pushing each other to, to write more. And we'd share these Google docs every so often and do like a 30 poems and 30 day Google doc, you know, we just kind of like would, would just post something um, and at least try to, put up thirty poems within thirty days. We didn't always get there, but I mean like I just it was good to just produce work. And I started envisioning what would an entire book for me look like that that would be based around a common theme. Um or would work around a common theme. And um you know, I had an idea of maybe like exploring the idea of cities. And uh, I I thought about maybe writing a whole book that was chronological and each poem marked the year of my life. And and I just, I was trying to do all these, I was trying to work within all these different ideas and nothing was quite coming together. And I was starting to get frustrated. And, um, you know, so I decided to, you know, there was this grant, from the Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Center, um, that you know, the applications were coming up and I decided to apply for it and I thought like, you know, I do these thirty minute shows, you know, all the time whenever I'm asked to do a feature. Like what would it look like if I tried to do an hour long show? You know, I was thinking like standard comedians do this. They do their 5, 10, 20 minute sets and then they go for the Netflix they go for the Netflix special. It'd be like an hour, and like I thought, like maybe I could do something similar. So I applied for the grant, and that was my idea. And um, I thought, like you know, I have all these poems. I don't know what to do with it. Maybe I'll just turn it into this, this show. And so I got the grant, and um, I decided to turn it into a solo show. Um, and that show, you know, I premiered in twenty sixteen. I uh, started working with this um, a theater artist who's also a stand up comedian. Uh, her name is Katavasco. And, you know, I worked with her because she did a kind of similar thing. She was doing stand up and turned her stand up into a one hour solo theater show. I thought like, you know, she'd be great to work with. And she really kind of helped me out in conceptualizing what this story would look like, how to take my poems and just kind of connect them together through uh, storytelling, through, you know, music and and multimedia. And um over the since twenty sixteen I've just kind of I was developing the show um to be this cohesive um look at you know using my poetry, using storytelling at um what my Filipino American you know Filipino experience in America has been. And um to work within the idea of story um as Um, Filipinos in America, you know, what is that, you know, what is that story? Can my perspective help to tell that story amongst other perspectives and in doing so, you know, for me, it's like in this, what you hope to kind of do is not only like claim ownership of what the Filipino and Filipino American story is or claim some part of that, but also to be able to have a say in what the American story is. And that was the idea of what, you know, the show would be, you know, a way of, of using the individual story to tell the greatest story. And, um, you know, once that show was set in place, you know, I, I, I was able to kind of return to the manuscript and, you know, use what I had done with the show and build upon that to flesh out, flesh those ideas out even further, kind of, you know, um, this exploration of, you know, one Filipino American story and how it opens up, you know, what these greater narratives mean. And um, it, it, that's, you know, and that's what, what the book became.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's, it's an interesting way of kind of, uh, coming back around to the book by um, exploring a different form of approaching it. There's parts of this book that feel very much like memoir, like exploring personal childhood and family, particularly between brothers and cousins. And um, can you talk a bit about like pulling from your personal experience to kind of try to share a wider experience? I do if that's the right way of thinking about it
1: yeah i mean I think I think i mean i the best I can do is be able to to tell what my experience is. I think that I like to see art working in tandem with um of you know the work of historians you know and I think that growing up when a lot of the people I knew growing up from college have become these like amazing like academic historians in 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 the world. Um you know, the folks I met in college who are just like really kind of um they they are. You know, when we talk about like academic historians, you know, they are the people we we talk about. Um and um, you know, folks like Alison Titiago Kubalas and, and um the late uh, Don Mabalan um who who passed away last year. I mean I remember used to like I remember hanging out with them and, you know, and remember when they used to do spoken word and now they're like, you know, they're like these super respected like, uh, professors and, and it's, it's great to see. It. And I, and I, I've always worked alongside that. I've worked, always worked like, you know, coming up, my poetry and literary experience was around like Filipino activism. Um, and so yeah you yeah know, and I believe that 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 for a person of color you know to create art is a means of us being able to obtain agency over our narratives and the ability to obtain agency over our narratives over our stories is an intensely political act, especially because our stories have been constantly um told you know um, for us instead of by us and that's why I think that like, you know, you know, I was looking at this book. It's just like, you know, I think I try to explain it over again. This is just one part. And, you know, I see myself working in tandem in conversation with the work being done by, you know, so many Filipino artists and academics in the U S right now. And and I even look like, you know, this idea of like this memoir style um, of, of poetics, like I'm not the only one doing it. I mean, like, you know, there's Jenessa Sapigao who you know who works in similar fashion um, and told kind of like a history of you know the, the Filipino experience in the Silicon Valley in a similar way. Um, Jason Magabo Perez also is another person that you know from uh, Southern California who who wrote this last book. Um, this is for the mostest. Works in that prose and poetry style. I, I've talked to Amy Cesara. Um, who's another amazing new poet from the Bay? Who's also kind of working in their prose and poetry style, and um, that you know one of my favorite albums from that series by a Panay rapper um, named Ruby Ibarra, um who wrote an entire album, which is like it's 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 rap memoir. It's, it is that lyric memoir um, style, and 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 it's an entire album that does that and i just i think like it's kind of dope that there's this like synergy happening um you know at, at at this time and that like and i look at it it is this kind of way or this kind of means of uh by which uh we're all working together to kind of grab a hold of our narrative especially as like we become as filipinos like this bigger presence in the united states
0: Um, It's interesting that you mentioned hip hop because, Mm -hmm. or rap, because music is spoken about quite a bit throughout your book. Um, Can you talk a bit about the importance of music to you and and how it's influenced your work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, music is what, you know, growing up, like, you don't, I I think it's hard for me to explain to people, like, how you grow up in this country without any sense, uh, without anything that reflects back to you. So you're kind of like this thing that exists in America, but doesn't exist in America. And, you know, I think that's where you kind of latch on to other cultures to kind of find a way through to way to be, you know, finding your way through the way to be you. Um, And a lot of that I think, you know, can become appropriation, but a lot of it is also, this is what we had coming into here in the eighties and early nineties without anything that reflected us. You know, we looked at like other communities that were around us at the time, Um, because the thing is that if one thing that was painfully obvious is that we weren't white. And so, you know, the you know closest communities to us were other were either like Mexican communities or, or um, Black communities, and um, I think in 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 engaging you know with those cultures, you know helped us find a way back and be able to create one of our own. And a lot of the ways we engage with other cultures were through music, you know, in hip hop, and also even like R and B music. I found this means of. Being able to express an otherness in isolation and um that that you know you feel in America but don't know how to don't know how to express don't know how to to put into words and there is a thing that you want to rail against, but you don't know what that is yet I think that's that's why like I have such um such a, a embedded connection you know to to the music I grew up with. Because it allowed me to access, you know, the feelings I didn't understand and begin to formulate, you know, some way of talking about them. Whether it's like, you know, I mean, like my whole I begin you know, I, I, yeah, you know, I think about like, you know, my political identity um, or be, being able to even, you know, start to create a language around um, how to talk about oppression and how to talk about, um, how to talk about culture. And, and a lot of that came from the hip hop I was listening to, you know, um, and that's, and that's why it's always, you know, going to be, you know, especially. And, and um, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I think the feeling, you know, the, the different emotional buttons that music can kind of like tap into you, you know, it, even though I can't always express what it means, I know what the feeling is and, and and it's returning to those feelings. It's returning to, you know, whatever pushes and moves inside of me that I continue to think. I continue to explore the things that I write. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think that's beautiful. Would you like to read one of your poems from the collection? Sure.
1: So this is a, It's called, this one's called tabo, which is like this little bucket that you have to use in the outhouses whenever uh, you gotta use the bathroom. On Tatang's farm, he grabs a bucket of water and heads to the outhouse at midnight. The tread of his footsteps slapping the bucket's fill against the insides, the way it sways, curling back into its container. Maybe one of his sons wakes up. Even the subtlest of sounds is a violent disruption in all this perfect quiet. My father is not here. Only the boys who are old and strong enough are needed, and there isn't enough to feed them all. The last boy will go to school. The last boy will live with his aunt, who has enough to make sure he's fed. This is how you start an education, how you learn to live without attachments, what you will need to know to leave the country where you were born. My grandfather trudges along the night. An errant drop flies at the backswing and lands on the dirt, taking within only a small container of the moon. This drop, once whole, once familiar, having to learn to be something new. And maybe it thinks, how will I recognize myself? Who will I be this far away from where I was whole?" that's beautiful thank you
0: i i think that ties into my next question um which is a bit about identity uh the way that poem wraps up about who i will be and that sort of thing and and there's a poem near the beginning of your book um that repeats the phrase always i am told i am nothing and from nothing i make myself material um and it's in broken lines across the page. And that phrase is repeated multiple times with, uh, different spacing. Um, and it's very powerful, um, in the midst of all these and connecting with the the rest of the poetry. So I, I would love if you talked a bit about, uh, this, this concept of nothingness and identity and, and creating yourself and, um, it also makes me wonder if, if poetry is a way of making oneself more material.
1: Yeah, I, um, I think that growing up, yeah, I, I constantly felt like yeah, I don't exist here, you know? And it's a strange thinking because I have flesh and I have blood and I have this body, but I don't exist in this place. And I still feel that often no matter, like, what I've done with my life, that here I'm still a blank space. And um, and it's always been this fight to make me be something here. And um, I think, I wonder a lot of times if I wasn't a poet, if I wasn't a writer, would I always feel that in some way, you know, that what are the things that would... Make me feel whole, and if I never tried to understand how my existence here as the Filipino played into that, if I never thought about that, if I just tried to assimilate you know and and be a quote unquote good minority you know, would I be able to not feel that and and Or would that always be this pervasive thing that eats away at me? You know, this life being a writer has been one of constant self-examination and is giving me the tools to do that. It's given me the, it gave me the, it gave me the courage to seek therapy. It gave me a way to talk about what I feel and what I believe and what I hope for. And expressing any of these things in my life, it's never easy. I still struggle with all of it, but I feel having this gift that was, you know, because it's not, I don't want to use the term gift as a gift, like I have this gift report, but this gift that was, but it is to have this in my life was a gift, you know, to have poetry, to be loud, to be one, is a gift for me and um, because it gave me all these things. And um, even if I'm not always happy, I could find ways to be happy. Um, I could find the means to work through all of it. And so, yeah, you know, that nothing that, that's something that, that, that gets made from nothing. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with poetry. No that happened because poetry gave me back a, a way to find my culture, my history, a way to understand my parents better, a way to understand my people better, and I feel more whole because of it
0: that's a powerful thing there's all these um things that you mentioned that that poetry was able to give to you i mean uh, is is do you think beyond being able to give voice to people who in a way that they might not have been able to before, is there, is there a role that poetry plays in society in terms of helping to spark discussion or create change?
1: I want to believe that's the case. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I've, seen you know people poach or reach folks that like even even if they don't feel like maybe they it's accessible to them and but i'm i'm still in a lot of ways trying to figure out like is this something that needs to be actively pursued i how do we, pursue, how do we is it important? Like, I wonder, because it's, it's the whole idea of making, like, of, of the accessibility of poetry and the questions we have around the accessibility of poetry. How do we, and, and, and I, I'm i just trying to figure out the best way maybe to, is it, we can't worry about, you know, I mean, like, the, you know, to be able to push the art, we can't worry about what, you know, we can't worry about whether or not what you make is going to be accessible. But I also feel like, I think we can trust people more to understand what the function of poetry is if they're given the opportunity. Um, And also that it is, you know, once it's demystified for them a little more, that they, yeah, like even, even a poem that needs work, that it is accessible to any of us. If we just kind of like take the time to sit with things. Take the time to be curious about language to to be curious about the ways in which we communicate with one another um, and to also like be actively wanting them to the question and to explore and I think that a lot of that is is missing. you know I think people want to a lot of the times be to say and and be correct and and yeah what's the word i'm looking for it's there's this is certainty you know in people about things and it, it it it's it doesn't make sense to me because i'm rarely ever certain about a lot of things and i i don't understand how people can always be so certain that everything they say or do or think or feel is the correct thing. I mean, like, you know, I think there are certain things we should believe are correct and real and certain, but like, I mean, I think there, especially when it's things around like racism or the fact that like we are experiencing climate change, (laughs) Uh, but like, (laughs) I think we should be certain about that, but I mean.
0: But emotional experience. Yeah. Spiritual experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, like. It's, I wish to see more curiosity out of people. And that's, you know, because I'm always, I'm always curious. I think curious gives you the capacity for wonder. And, you know, I'm, I always tell people this. I, I'm a very cynical person, you know, but, you know, again, what poetry gives me is the ability to access my, my curiosity and That curiosity leads me to my wonder, and that's for me that 's what I love in seeing in poetry
0: yeah, me too um, i've definitely read poems where i 've not fully understood the the message behind them, but it opens up ways to be okay with that uncertainty of understanding and just experience the language and the emotion behind it. Hmm. So you mentioned that now that this book is finished, that you're not necessarily um, wanting to be working on writing at the moment. So normally I ask what you're working on now, but if, if, (laughs) if it's not writing um, what might that be or, or what are you doing with your time now that the book's done?
1: I mean, like I, I, I still I still work as an artistic director for uh, an amazing arts organization here in San Francisco. Um, you know, we're currently like around this time of the year is when we have our festival Aperture, which is uh, um, a festival for emerging Asian Pacific American artists in the Bay Area. It's a multidisciplinary festival with visual arts, literary music, and it's music performing arts. Comics Illustration, all this stuff. Um, And we have six different showcases that happen in October. And so, like, I'm working on that. And uh, I still perform. I'm still doing Locus of Control. Um, You know, I'll be doing Sacramento coming up in October, October 19th, um, at the Guild Theater out there. Uh, I still want to develop that a little more. I'm thinking about a different um, theater show. Um, and I've been thinking about maybe working on some fiction or, or, you know, maybe like exploring more options in theater. Um, but I probably will be writing poems soon enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, to wrap up, I generally like to ask, um, if you would share something that you've been reading or some form of media that you've been loving at the moment and that, or something that you find inspiring?
1: You know, I, um, <clears throat> this, this, I've been, I've been really trying to explore our work of Filipino artists in the last, uh, um, the last month or two. Um, uh, I just finished, uh, two books by Randy Rebaix and Gina Postol. And those, those are amazing. But one thing I I do want to talk about is last night, um, I finally got around. There's this young um, Filipino artist from Bay Area who now lives in LA. Her name is Jay Som and she kind of does indie dream pop, like shoegaze type music. And um, I listened to it last night and I, I, it moved me so much, you know, listening to this album because it was, I think, when I think about the art being made by Filipinos um, in America, um, like, and what it looked like when I was younger, you know, to what it looks like now and how varied and, and, and um, assured and unique, the styles have become, um, yeah, and like I mean, I, I think about kind of like the lineage of like Filipino kind of dream pop shoegaze acts that I I kind of like knew when I was in my early twenties, um, bands like Julie Plug and, and Skyflakes and and um, and to see like Jay Som is this kind of like work in that lineage and and how it is a become this extension um, of that and it, to something that just entirely like it's an album that is so realized and and and, and understands what it wants to be and, and and it's beautiful and it's just there's so much I feel that you put into that album. I just I love it and I think it's like it it's it's definitely like something I I I, I woke up this morning I kept listening to. It. It's it's so great. It's called a anako, which means um you know anak is what uh you know what we call child. It's kind of like anako, you know, child of mine, and it's great.
0: That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. I I am definitely gonna have to check that out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> thank you so much for this really amazing conversation.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me on.
0: My pleasure. Yeah. Alrighty, so if you are listeners would like to discuss this episode with me, um, one of the places that you can do so is on Shuffle. It's a new ad free social media network that's centered around engaging conversation. um, And I personally love the use of categorization. Um, So that I can zero in on the things I'm passionate about Um, shuffle is invite only at the moment. And if you would like to join, you can go to www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. That's www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. And I'll also put a link in the show notes. So, thank you so much for listening. I wish you all a wonderful day and some amazing point, poetry to enjoy. Um and this is New Books and Poetry, a podcast channel of the New Books Network.